Hello, I'm Mary Osborne. I'm Kathy Shagrin. And I'm Stacia Matten. And we'd like to welcome you back for a second season of Prairie Tales, where each month we talk about this wonderful community we live in, Monmouth, Illinois. Mary, did you know that the city of Monmouth is the birthplace of fraternity Kappa Kappa Gamma? Well, yes, I did. Well, did you know that their mascot is an owl and the Florida is their symbol? Yes, I was aware. Did you know that the fraternity began as a desire by several local women in Monmouth to develop a women's fraternity for social development and now has 145 collegiate chapters? How do you know so much about Kappa Kappa Gamma? <laughs> well, well you know, I read it on the I read internet. It on the internet. Oh, moving on. Each month at Prairie Tales, we bring you a little slice of history from Monmouth's past with the help of local historians. Last year, we heard from many of you who listen, and we welcome your ideas for future programs. We also would like to recognize the Buchanan Center for the Arts, which sponsors our program as part of its mission to promote the arts in whatever form it takes in the Monmouth area. So, are we ready to begin? Absolutely. Well, get ready because it's season two of Prairie Tales. Hello, I'm Stacia Matten. I'm Mary Osborne. And I'm Kathy Shagrin. And we would like to welcome you to this new edition of Prairie Tales. Local author Susan Van Kirk is probably well known to our Prairie Tales listeners. Susan is a graduate of Knox College where she majored in history. She later attended the University of Illinois getting her graduate degree in secondary education. For four decades, Susan was an educator teaching at Monmouth High School and Monmouth College. She is the proud mother of three grown children and has 11 grandchildren. Susan is also a new member of the Buchanan Center Board of Directors. In her spare time, or perhaps it could be described as her new full-time retirement profession, she is a writer of mysteries. Describing herself as a creator of crimes, a disturber of dreams, and a seller of the sleight of hand. Susan, uh, we have read that you especially like writing mysteries because they restore moral order to the universe. Why do you think that's so? Well, good afternoon to all you three people. Um, I would you say too. that. Thank you. <laughs> I would say that the kind of mysteries I write, which are cozy slash traditional are a little like Agatha Christie's in that you have a puzzle to solve, you have a murder, and then eventually the murderer is discovered or uncovered and life goes on with things being straightened out again. And the people that are the quote, good people, go on with their lives and meet their goals and the murderer gets whatever's due. So it would be nice if the real world worked like that, but that's maybe why I like to to live in that world. I think we all probably share that thought. Um, would you mind backing up then and, and share with us a little bit about your teaching years and then why did you become interested in becoming a writer? Well, you know, there are times in life, occasional times in life when something happens and all of a sudden you go, oh my gosh, I never thought of that. I never thought I could do that. And it's kind of that way, it was that way with me in terms of deciding to write. I taught for 34 years at the high school here in Monmouth, and I probably had between four and 5,000 students between the high school and the college a lot. 
a lot of years of teaching and I loved that job. I mean, it was the best decision I ever made. But after 34 years at the high school, I really kind of wanted to try a little bit something different. And that's why I moved over to the college. And at the time, I was writing cliff notes. Now, I know that sounds strange, but after I got my master's degree at age 50, uh, I thought maybe a company would hire me to be a consultant. Well, of course, none of them did. But I got an email from this little company in Nebraska that did cliff notes, and they wanted me to do their best-selling scarlet letter and bring it up to date. And I said, you know, I don't think I could do that because I'm an English teacher. I try to get my students not to read those clip notes. And he said, well, I'll pay you X amount of dollars. And I said, oh, show me where to sign. And so at the time I had two kids in college and, um, you know, that's tough when you're a single parent. So I not only was able to help put them through the rest of their college, but I also was able to put an office in my house, which became very helpful when I decided to write. But that happened because I was teaching a class at the college, an education class for people that wanted to maybe become teachers. They weren't sure. And at the end of each semester, I told a story about something that happened to me when I was teaching at the high school a very eerie, unusual story about a friend of mine who was killed in Vietnam in 1971. He had gone to Knox with me and something happened at the high school the day that I got the news that, that he had been killed. Something very eerie and unusual and amazing. And I didn't remember it. I didn't remember it and I found out 20 years later from that high school student what had happened. And I thought, this is a great story to explain to people why it's wonderful to teach. It was a very inspirational story about teaching. So at the end of one of those classes, a student at the college said to me, why don't you put that story in writing? People that want to be teachers, they should read that. And I, <laughs> yeah, right. I thought, you know, it's one thing to tell a story, it's something very different to put it in writing. But I decided, well, I could try that. So I did. I sent it off on a lark to Teacher Magazine. And two days later, they sent me an email and said, we want to publish your story. I said, what? So that's what happened. They paid me a whole 50 bucks and they published my story. But then they put it on their website with a button that you could push on and you could hear me read it. And they recorded it. Chris Goebel at the college recorded it and sent the file to them. And oh my gosh, that's when it happened. I started hearing from people all over the place because my email was at the end of the story. I heard from former students. I heard from people I hadn't seen in 20 years. I heard from first year teachers that were about to quit, but this story was inspiring them. And I thought, wow. And so I thought, I know more stories. So I wrote another 14 and put them in a book. And it was a, became a memoir about my teaching life. And it sold about 25,000 copies. I've <laughs> seen that book up at the Buchanan Center. That must have been extremely gratifying for you as a teacher to have that kind of response. Oh, it was wonderful. And not only that, but I wasn't sure my memory was very good. So I got in touch with a lot of those former students that were part of those stories. And in some cases I had to get copyright, you know, had them sign that I could use their names and that type of thing. But 
Yes, it was amazing. And I thought, you know, when I quit teaching, when I retire from the college, I think I'll write mysteries. I mean, this is so much fun writing. I didn't realize this would be fun. And I didn't realize I could do it. So that's mm -hmm. how I happened to start writing mysteries, believe it or not. Well, this is very inspiring to me because I too have written many novels. Unfortunately, they are only in my head and very little <laughs> on actual paper, but I believe they have the potential to be brilliant. So you're giving me inspiration that I still have a writing career. And your story made me laugh. My daughter was reading The Great Gatsby for school. Oh, she's one of my she's, favorites. Yes, she's 16 and she was trying to, you know, wrap her head around it. And I said, you know, when I was your age, we had these books you could buy at the bookstore in oh. the shady corner called Cliff's Notes, and they were bright yellow and we didn't dare take them to school, but sometimes it would help me to read that first, you know. And my daughter said, Mom, there's a website called Cliff's Notes and it's blocked at the high school. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so anyway, um, she'll love to know that now I have a personal connection to a Cliff's Notes <laughs> author. You... So let me ask you this, that writing assignment that my daughter had to do the other night and a writing assignment my son had to do recently, they are both excellent writers, but they really sometimes have a hard time getting going and calling, you know, like getting in the moment and like, they, they say once they kind of find their routine, they're good, but boy, they have a hard time starting. So I wanted to ask you, do you have a routine? Like when you're going to sit down to write, you know, do you have your special chair, your special cup, or do you have to be in the right frame of mind? Oh, all of those things. I think you have to be what they would call in the zone. And when you get in the zone, that's when you know you got something really special. But I, uh, right now, I am just starting a book, so I can tell you how I do that. I'm starting a new mystery that's the second in a series. The first will be out in June. And believe it or not, it's about an art center in a small town. And I think you will even recognize parts of this art center. But the second book is what I'm just starting now. And the first thing I had to do was come up with an idea. I mean, even just writing a paper, you have to come up with an idea. And that is really hard for me because I spend about three or four weeks saying, oh, I can't do this. I can't do this again. I mean, I finished that last book and it did okay, but I can't do this again. So I run away from it for a little while. And then I finally get an idea. Once I do that, then I have an idea of what I need to research. I need to, like for The Witch's Child, I read about three books on Scottish witchcraft and that type of thing. Well, for this book, I've had to talk to a judge and a pharmacist and uh, a coroner. And I did that just this week. And they all told me that the things that I wanted to do in this mystery are going to work, that they, the, the law will support it and all that. So good. So do you know, when you start to write the mystery, do you know who done it on day one? Well, that's a good story too, because normally I do. I always structure my book knowing who did it but the one time I didn't do that oh it was awful the witch's child is the one I did that with the one that just came out and I didn't know who did it and so I went ahead and started writing and then when I finished it I had to rewrite the ending about three times because it just didn't work so I'm never ever going to do that again ever I'm going to know who did it so now I'm to the point with this new book where I, I know the basic plot, I know the characters, and now I'm going to 
put together a series of chapters and I know who's in each chapter and where the chapter takes place and what I want to do in that chapter. And then I will sit down and start writing. And I usually write in my home office. I'll write from 2,000 to 4,000 words a day. Depends on how long the chapter is. I'll write one chapter. And then before or when I stop, I will look at the chapter for the next day. And I will jot down a bunch of notes about what I need to be sure and get into that chapter so that when I get up the next day and look at that, I'm ready to go. And I think that's really important, at least it is for me, that I have a plan so that I don't get up and just stare at that screen. And that's kind of, that's pretty much the way I do it. It feels so good to finish the first draft. Oh my gosh. But then the really hard work begins, which is doing all the rewriting and the editing and all of that. And I have an amazing editor who's been with me for 10 years. And I have three beta readers here in town who've been with me for 10 years. And they all give me feedback and advice. And that's when the rewriting starts. So if what, your, your children what kind are of reader? doing- What did you call that? A, what, a beta reader? A beta reader. Is that beta. like a guinea pig reader? A like what? The, like, the, like, is that like your, your test rat? Like, yes. <laughs> yes, it is. Not to and reduce your readers to vermin. I'm just saying that's kind of a fun job. That you. <laughs> no, they are wonderful. They're all three friends of mine and our friendship is still solid. So uh, very good. Yeah, they give me feedback about what worked and what didn't work and that type of thing. I love that. Well, one of them is great at finding finding plot holes you can drive a truck through. One of them is really good with language. And the other one taught English at Western. So she knows exactly what to look for that I've screwed up. So, yes, that's what I do when I write a book. And it comes out to be about 70 to 80,000 words, which is about 275 to 300 pages, somewhere right in there. It's magic. <laughs> I think your process is so interesting, but even when you know who the culprit is and you've done <laughs> all of your uh, preparation, you have your notes and your outlines, even then, do you find that your books ever take a turn that you weren't expecting? Yes, especially when I discover something that I was so sure would work will not work. And like I said, in this last book, I thought the ending would work and it was just totally disaster. Uh, but yes, every so often I will paint myself into a corner and have to go back and change a whole lot of things to make it work the way I want it to. So that happens a lot. In the process of you writing your books, and, and you know, you've been writing all your life. Most people write all the time, but when you sit down to write a book, is there anything that, that has surprised you about the process of writing a book, something that you didn't expect or something that was a pleasant surprise or that you weren't expecting? Yes, I would definitely say that because my teaching background and my personality, I'm a very practical person. And I tend to think you're going to write from point A to point B, no problem. And this is going to happen and this and this and this. But what happens is when I'm thinking about the plot, particularly at the beginning of this whole process, I will go for a long time without being able to come up with a really good idea. And then all of a sudden, boom, it hits me. And it just that just happened like a week ago with this new book. 
all of a sudden I've got an idea and it actually will work. I think it'll work, but I've got to try some things out with it and see. It's like my subconscious does that. And it happens a lot after I've slept on something. If I have a plot problem, I will think about it before I go to sleep. And the next morning, invariably, I'll come up with a way to solve it. The other thing that surprises me is that you always have to have some ideas that are themes in your book. At least that's important to me. But you have to have a main plot and a subplot, and they have to either mirror each other or have a connection. And a lot of times I won't know exactly what those subplots are going to be. And again, my subconscious kind of comes up with these subplots that are going to connect. And I'm always shocked or surprised that that happens. But I know it's the subconscious. It's not the part of me that is practical and says point A to point B. It's all about the arts, right? I could listen to this for hours. I'm so interested in the behind the scenes and behind the curtain. I think it's just, I've always been so intrigued. I love writing. I love reading. So I'm loving listening to all of this. You touched on this a little bit. You said that you're right now just beginning the work on a new book. So how many, I know you've got the one you're plotting and planning and starting that process. How many books are you working on right now in your head? What else are you working on? Do you like jot little notes? Do you always have something else going on? Are you right? Can you write on work on more than one thing? I'm, I'm sort of curious to see about what you're working on now and, and what we can expect in the future. Well, right now I'm at a point where I'm having a few shivers about how this is going to work because I actually have two series going at the same time and that's never happened really before. So I used to wonder how writers couldn't remember what happened in a particular book or they they said a name of a character and it was actually in a different series. And that's the thing that I'm beginning to wonder if I can do. But um, I'm starting this new series, as I mentioned about this art center. And the first book is called Death in a Pale Hue. And it's already done and it's into the editor at the new publisher. And it's about a young woman who comes back from Chicago. She's an artist. She's an oil painter. And she comes back to her small hometown of Apple Grove to become the manager of an art center that will be named for her mother, who was a famous sculptor. And all of a sudden, some really terrifying things happen when she's opening up this art center. And it's, uh, you know, Christine has taken me down to the basement of the Buchanan Center, so I know what that looks like. And believe me, that has a big role to play in this first book. So that book is finished. And now I'm working right, you can tell second us. one. You can tell us. Oh, How I that cannot just, tell you. Come, no, no come on. It's just, it's only we ladies here. No one's listening, please. <laughs> just, <laughs> I need a spoiler. I've been in my I think this too. is being I think this is being recorded, right? <laughs> oh darn it. You are a mystery solver. <laughs> well, now that book is done, but now I'm working on the second one right now. I am actually starting to write it. But at the same time, the first book is going to come back from my publisher this month with a developmental edit, and I'm going to have to go back over it and re-edit all of it in the middle of writing the second one. And so that's going to be a little confusing, but I'm hoping to write another endurance mystery, which is the first series that you sell really well at the Buchanan Center, by the way. 
And I'm hoping to write one more of those books before the end of the year. So the second book that I'm working on now doesn't have to be in the publisher till December. So I'm going to try to get it done by this summer and then have time to write another endurance mystery. At the same time, I will have edited the first one and it will come out in June and I will have to promote it. This is not exactly the quiet retirement that I thought I would have. And the more successful I am, the more series I write, the more work I have to do. But I'm really enjoying it. And we'll see how we'll see how that goes. But your art center, the Buchanan Center, has a prominent role in this new series. Well, this is so exciting. And and you know, if you ever need to use me as inspiration, you have my full permission. <laughs> I will keep that on my list. Thank you. Only a small fee. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh. Well, as we wrap up things, what advice do you have for any aspiring writers out there? Oh, gosh, this is often a question. (laughs) There are some things about writing that you won't expect. One thing is that anytime you're in the arts, you're in a situation where you're going to be judged. I mean, you know, that's always true about the arts. So when you write a book, you're going to get not only bad reviews occasionally, but you're also going to get rejections. You'll get rejections from publishers, from agents, you name it. And you can't take those to heart. You have to keep going. So the first bit of advice I would give them is that they have to be persistent and they have to keep pushing, even if they get some of these rejections, which they will. Um, secondly, I think you need a lot of self-discipline. Once you write that book in your head, Stacia, you have to sit down at some point and get it on paper. <laughs> and you have now to- you're starting to sound like a teacher again. <laughs> <laughs> right. And you have to you have to keep working at it. It's uh it's it's really something you have to make yourself do. I would suggest you join a writing community or even a critique group because you need that kind of support and it's really helpful to get that feedback. Right now I'm the president of a writing community that has 1100 members. And so finding time to write my own books is giving me a little trouble at the moment, but it's a wonderful community. It's like the teaching community because everyone is really supportive. So I think that's important, but I will also say that if you're thinking about writing a book, The first time the UPS truck stops at your house and unloads these boxes of books that have your name on them, oh my God, it's the most wonderful feeling in the universe. And if you have that happen more than once, that is even more wonderful. So it really is something that if you think you want to do, do it. You're not too old, that's for sure. I've already proven that. People ask me what my writing plan is, and I say to live longer. So uh, if you want to write a book, I say go for it. That is definitely inspirational. I mean, I think as as some of us that get older, you feel like, oh, you know, I I maybe I didn't do what I wanted to do because I chose a different career path or I raised children. So it's it's inspiring to hear that if you have those dreams and it's never too late to pursue them, but I'm sure many people listening um, are interested in reading some of Susan's books and they are available for purchase from the Buchanan Center's gift shop in Monmouth. Um, Susan, are they also available online? Yes, they're all available on Amazon and some of them are available on barnesandnoble.com. 
you know, Amazon uh, knows me pretty well. So I'd probably be able to find them there. Well, we want to thank you so much for spending some time with us on this uh, snowy afternoon. And we also want to close by saying that at the Buchanan Center, expressing your art in whatever form it takes is appreciated and supported. And we encourage all of you to visit the Buchanan Center's website at bcaarts.org and take a look around and see what appeals to you. I want to thank Susan so much for joining us today and also to my co-hosts, Mary and Kathy, um, and thank all of you for listening to this edition of Prairie Tales, and we'll see you next month. And that, friends, is where this tale ends. Prairie Tales is a production of the Buchanan Center for the Arts in Monmouth, Illinois. If you enjoyed our podcast, look for more content on Instagram at Buchanan Center and on Facebook at BCA Monmouth. Email us with questions and suggestions for future episodes at prairietalespodcast at gmail.com. Remember, not all history is found in a book. Sometimes it's found in the stories we tell. Just listen to the sound of the prairie, and you too might hear a tale.